Welcome once again to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. Hey, what's up, Todd? Live. Hey, do, doing well. This is our first uh, Facebook Live. So, um, hey, I just, you know, I, I don't know if you knew this, Corey. I think you did. But uh, last week was the primary election for city council races in Utah. And people are always asking me, like, what's the best way to get involved in politics? And I always say, I always get the same answer, and that is volunteer for a campaign. And so I ran for city council in my little city in Woods Cross in 1999. I won by five votes. I mean, true story. Nice. Um and uh, volunteering for a campaign is great. And I'll tell you, our Senate president, Stuart Adams, he got his start on the Leighton City Council. So did Jerry Stevenson, um, who is, you know, part of our Senate leadership team. Uh, but I want to tell you about Deidre Henderson. She was a young mother in Spanish Fork, no political experience. She ended up volunteering for Jason Chaffetz's first campaign. She's literally running his campaign out of her laundry room in Spanish Fork. Wow. And that, that, you know, vaulted her uh, into being a state senator and now lieutenant governor. And so uh, when I tell people that volunteering for a campaign is the very best way to get involved in politics, uh, it, it, it really is the very best way to get involved in local politics. That's great. That's a great story. All right, let's jump into it. Salt Lake County Health Department's Executive Director, Angela Dunn, issued an order Wednesday requiring children in the county from kindergarten to sixth grade to wear masks in school. We talked about this a little bit last week. This week, Salt Lake County Council voted Thursday to overturn that decision. So, Todd, the legislature, I know, recently shifted authority to county governments to make these decisions. Can you explain to us what the process, what process? Yeah, so so we, just, we just saw the process. And, you know, I got so annoyed for a month saying, I can't believe the legislature um, you know, banned masks in schools. I kept on telling people we didn't ban masks in schools. The, the county and the state health department has the authority to issue them, but then they can be overturned by the state legislature or the county councils. And that's exactly what happened. But Corey, this is important because first of all, I think it's an, I think that Angela Dunn made a very political, politically motivated decision. Um, the data is simply not there. Did you know we had less than 200 children die. There's 73 million children in the United States, and we've had 600,000 deaths from COVID. Less than 300 of them, uh, well, less than 200 in 2020 were children under the age of 18. Now we have children from 12 to 17 who can get vaccinated. So we're only talking about the kids under 12 who can't get vaccinated. And I, I don't believe we've had any death. We've had one death in Utah out of our out of our 25, almost 2,600 deaths in Utah from COVID, one of them has been, I think it was a teenager. I don't think he was under, I don't think that that death was a child who was under the age of 12. And so we have a lot of, um, a lot of hysterical people. I get that. Um, and I, I think COVID's real. Um, and, and I think some kids are going to get COVID during the school year, just like last year. Um, but, um, but this idea that somehow by wearing a cloth mask, by asking six-year-olds to wear a cloth mask all day, that that's going to somehow prevent the spread of the virus. Remember, these kids are sitting in the same room together every day. You know, if they're in first grade, it's going to be six hours. If they're in kindergarten, it's going to be maybe two or three hours. But more importantly, what nobody seems to talk about is they go to lunch. If they're in first grade or higher, they go to lunch. And guess what? They take off their masks for half an hour and they don't, they don't do a good a job of social, socially distancing. And so um, we're supposed to believe that if they wear their mask in the classroom, but they take it off at lunch, and they go out for recess without their masks that somehow 
this virus is just going to take, I guess, a lunch break. Um, so, it, 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 you know, so there's no perfect answer. And so what I've been telling parents is look at, um, you've got a couple options here. You can send your kid to school with a mask. You can send them with an N95 mask, which will protect your student or Pres uh, Governor Cox has promised that the schools will have K and 95 masks available for all students who want them. You yeah. can keep your kid home and homeschool them. You can enroll your child in an online option. Most districts are having an online option. Even Salt Lake County has an online option. So there's lots of options for parents, but the option that parents don't have is to decide what every other parent in the school is going to do with their kids. That's, that's yeah. the one option that parents don't have, but that seems to be the only option that the parents contacting me seem to want. So there's, there's no easy decision here. And let's be honest, if, if uh, the Delta variant, we know it's more contagious. We don't know that it's more deadly, especially for children. But if a bunch of kids die in the Salt Lake School District, you know, this September or October, Everyone's going to be blaming the Salt Lake uh, County Council Republicans. Yeah. And so they've stuck their neck out, necks out. Um, but the, da the data isn't really there. Um, there. There's no, everyone says follow the science. Um, there's no science that says that a seven-year-old wearing a mask, I mean, these seven-year-olds, they suck on their masks all day. They get all wet. Sometimes they trade their masks with their friends. Um, there's no, there's no studies. There's no science that says that that protects them when they're in the same room with the same people all day long, every yeah. day. So, I mean, even if we disagree, not you and I, but us and, and others about the relative danger of this for children. I mean, just from a process standpoint, I think it's the right decision. I think the legislature did the right thing. We should put, we should put public policy decisions in the hands of elected representatives. I mean, I think public health professionals, they play a really important role but they have a narrow mission. And it was, I, I believe it was blindly following health experts last year that gave us the unnecessary uh, yeah. shutdowns. And Corey, and, uh, let, let me take this to, to two different other policy angles. A couple of years ago, the legislature, we raised the maximum speed limit from 65 to 80 on I-15, certain parts of I-15, a very popular decision. Do you think that doctors would have agreed with that? No, of course we not. let the doctors set our speed limits. We would probably never drive above 30 miles an hour. Some people would be okay with that. Most people would say, no, we're okay with a little bit of risk when it comes to speed limits. Okay. Um, let me say another thing. I mean, we just saw Afghanistan fall back in the hands of the Taliban today. Should we only let our military experts make decisions when it comes to war and when it comes to withdrawal of troops, or do they make recommendations and we let our, you know, our elected officials in Congress and the White House listen to those recommendations and make those decisions. So no, nobody's arguing. We have to let the military experts make all the decisions when it comes to war. They understand that those military experts make recommendations yeah. and the elected officials decide what to do. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the precedent that we've always followed in this country. I think that's exactly right. The buck has to stop with someone. It should stop with someone who needs to put their name on the ballot and give yeah. us a chance to vote them out or vote them in. I personally think the bottom line for most of the people upset with local control is they don't want elected officials who are, who are responsive to constituents to make decisions when they don't think the constituents, I mean, here in Utah, most constituents in Utah communities, they want parental choice. They don't want mask mandates. They want to be able to send their kids with masks if they want to, or they want parental choice. I think there's lots of support for government control and fiats from unelected bureaucrats when it results in more mandates, less personal freedom, less individual freedom when it's uh, when it's more lockdown. But less lockdown, we we don't want we don't want the political 
uh, decision makers to make decisions. Yeah, and, and these and look at we do not have a consensus here. If we issued a statewide mask mandate for schools tomorrow, we would probably have a civil war breakout because there's so many parents. Plenty wouldn't follow us. And if we don't issue one, we're going to have a, a certain percentage of parents who are, you know, I've already seen it. They're saying, you know, the Salt Lake County Council members have blood on their hands, uh, even though there's, you know, the data just doesn't back that up. So it, we're in trying times, and I, I think we're all trying to do the best we can. So we had an infrastructure bill that passed the Senate last week. Um, the Senate voted, uh, cleared another hurdle for the infrastructure bill. Uh, as we discussed previously, Mitt Romney is playing a leading role in support of the package, but Mike Lee remains opposed. So why the difference? They both represent the exact same constituents, don't they? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, because uh, uh, the Senate did pass the, the bipartisan infrastructure bill last week. There were 18 Republicans that, that voted for it, along with uh, all the Democrats. And I think Senator Romney was uh, one of the original they call it uh, the G10 group of 10, which grew into a group of 22, but essentially uh, senators, more centrist senators who were interested in finding a deal. And so, you know, credit to him. He, he worked hard and played a leading role. And I think he would point to the fact that Utah would get $3 billion for roads and hundreds of millions of dollars for water projects. And so I think he sees this as Washington actually working to solve problems. And, you know, frankly, it is nice to see Congress finally addressing some of America's and Utah's uh, infrastructure needs. I think on the other hand, uh, you know, Mike Lee would say the bill spends too much money. I think you may have put this on, on Twitter too. And too many of the pay-fors turned out not to be genuine. I think you'd probably say $3 billion is pretty good. But when you're talking about a trillion-dollar bill, like it's kind of pittance for Utah to get, you know, $3 billion. But, um, and the Congressional Budget Office found that of the trillion dollars in spending, it'll add $256 billion to the deficit, along with another $196 billion to the baseline, which, which is just, uh, you know, inside baseball. But the bottom line is the bill would increase the deficit by $400 billion. And, and you have things like $66 billion for Amtrak. And for those who don't know, like Amtrak doesn't even have the ridership income to pay for its operating no, costs, it's let alone not, repairs yeah. and new trains. And yeah. really the only line that comes close to covering its costs is the D.C. to New York-Boston line which, you know, surprise, surprise is the one that Biden took uh, on a daily basis to and from Delaware to D.C. Yeah. for 40 years. But anyway, I think that's where you see the difference is uh, I think I think uh, Senator Romney is more interested in getting a deal done. And and, and I think there's credit to be due there. But, and, but uh, I think Senator Lee also has a great point, which is a lot of this is deficit spending or kind of phony baloney pay fors Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. So. I mean, I, I don't love all the extra spending in Washington that we can't afford, but if we're going to spend money that we can't afford, I'd rather spend it on a bridge that may last for a hundred years than just mailing out checks willingly yeah. to people. So very good yeah, point. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> so on a related note, uh, immediately after passing the trillion dollar infrastructure bill, Senate Democrats passed $3.5 trillion budget resolution. That's trillion with a T. Todd, $3 trillion is... Three and a half trillion is three and a half million millions yeah. of dollars. Enough a trillion is dollar a million bills. times a million. So yeah. my mind enough, can't comprehend we, that. No, we can't comprehend it at all. It's enough $100 bills to stack higher than the moon. Yeah. So my question for you is, how can we look our grandkids in the eyes after this, honestly? Yeah, I, you know, I've, I've got a granddaughter who's going to be born here in the next week or two. So I'm just hoping she doesn't ask me. <laughs> 
<laughs> tough <laughs> questions because and your point is is that our grandkids are going to be repaying this debt um it's just insane i mean you know the democrats were screaming foul when when bush was spending money on the iraq war and they were screaming foul when trump was spending money on covid where are they now i mean you know <laughs> and i i think republicans can be hypocritical about uh deficit spending as well but <clears throat> Um, that this we've never seen spending like we've seen under Joe Biden. I mean, this is unprecedented. Yeah. It's, ir I mean, it's irresponsible. I'll be the first one to say Republicans have been very hypocritical. But we're still talking yeah. about three point five trillion with the T. If this include this package, let's give you a sense for it. It includes a record tax increase on employers and investors. It is the, the largest expansion of the welfare state in sixty years since uh, Lyndon Johnson. Yeah, a massive expansion of uh, healthcare entitlements that are already going bankrupt. A huge down payment on AOC's Green New Deal. This is true. <laughs> wow. Free childcare, free community college, free everything, free, free, free. And of course, like you said, we know it's not actually free. Yeah. Every dollar will be paid for by our children and grandchildren. And meanwhile, we have inflation going up. This will only exacerbate inflation. It's just, to your point, sure. I agree, reckless, irresponsible. For sure. And we've, saw, we've seen record inflation in June and July. So, uh, Corey, uh, did you see that Governor Cox posted on Twitter an interesting piece of uh, constituent mail this week asking him to change his last name? Yes, I, I hope everyone saw this. So Governor, Governor Cox posted a letter online that he received last week. The letter starts, I don't know if you know this, but when people say your surname, it sounds like the word cock. It's obscene. Decent people in Utah will not stand for it. Yeah, Stephen so Bear had a lot of fun with us a few days ago. Oh, I didn't even see that, but yeah, I did. That's did. great. So I know that the the governor's treat, uh, tweet went viral, and tons of national outlets picked it up. That's that's funny that Colbert did. Yeah. We, don't, we don't know if this person is serious, or you know, we're just making a joke. You know, I, mean, I read he, the letter; they didn't include their name. I I my best guess is they were serious. <laughs> you think so? Huh? I do, I do, because um, you'd be surprised some of the mail I get just as a statement. <laughs> that's probably true. I mean, I read it and I was thinking like, oh, this, this is a teenager, you know, like kind of Beavis and Butthead, like, you know, yeah. uh, you I said Cox. So. I mean, whatever. I'm going to, I, I'm going to go 70, 30. I'm 70% sure it's serious. I'm, I, I'm 30% doubtful that maybe it was a joke, but um, in any event, you know, anybody that's gone through junior high knows every possible interpretation of their last name. Or their <laughs> that's name. right. Hey, so, my, my last name's Astle. I mean, come on, yeah, Astle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of a Saturday Night Live skit um, <laughs> uh, for Oswipe. It was a Nicolas Cage sketch. I'll, I'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> that's great. Well, I mean, uh, if it was meant to be serious, I mean, I guess it's just one more example of the strange things that some people worry about. Only anyway. in Utah. Only in Utah. <laughs> All right, so Burgess Owens has a newly announced challenger in the 4th District. What do we know about this guy? Uh, nothing. Uh, Jake Hunsicker, uh, nobody's ever heard of him before. And um, I would say right now he has less than a 1% chance of winning. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Jake, you got your, your, your work cut out for you. But uh, he says that Owens doesn't represent U what Utah, care Utah voters care about um, or the rhetoric they want their congressman to be using. And he says uh, Owens also doesn't advocate for policies that would help the state or the nation. And I guess, you know, I'd be I'd be interested in, you know, just to know, like, can you name names? You know, what what rhetoric or policies in particular does he think is objectionable? Because, yeah, I mean, I mean Bur Burgess is um, I mean, he's he's kind of staying kind of close to the far right int uh, special interests 
Um, you know, and, and he is in a swing district. And so we can debate the merits of that. But I also think, um, you know, he's staying true to who he is. And, and he's certainly staying true to the campaign that he ran. He did not run as a moderate <laughs> at all. True, um, very true. You know, but you know, Burgess, he was not a, a well known name in Utah, because he's not from Utah, but he, he did, he did play in the NFL and won a couple of Super Bowl rings. And so that kind of helped him with his name, name ID. Uh, I don't, I mean, I think if Burgess is going to lose in 2022, it's not going to be to a fellow Republican. I think it would be to a Democrat, but I, I think um, we're going to see what happens here with redistricting, but my guess is yeah. that, that district might be a little less swingy next year than it was last year. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, my final note would be that uh, it's interesting to me that I think it seems that um, kind of like the same, the challengers to Mike Lee, it's kind of a, a vague reference to style and approach. And, and I think this is going to be an interesting experience or uh, sorry, experiment uh, in that uh, challengers this time around are kind of running more as centrist and, uh, and more about tone than, than about policies per se. I've been involved in Utah politics at the most grassroots levels for almost 24 years now. So, I mean, I knew Gary Herbert when he was a County commissioner, you know, so Jake Hunsicker is not an unknown name to me. So, so, I mean, I, what I'm going to say, and this may sound a little bit arrogant, and I'm sorry if it does, but if I don't know him, I don't think anybody else has heard of me there. <laughs> Whereas, you know, but you talk about the challengers to Mike Lee, uh, and we've talked about, you know, what my realistic expectations of those, the results of those campaigns, but Becky Edwards spent 10 years in the legislature, and she's married to the son of Lavelle Edwards, who has a stadium named after him. And right, right. Um, Allie Isom, you know, she ran Mark Shirtless campaign. She was uh, a key uh, member of Governor uh, Herbert's uh, team. She she was a spokesman for the LDS Church. Um, you know, she she's been out there. She's a well known name, a well known face. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I I don't put Jake Hunsicker in the same. He he might be the greatest guy in the world. He just you know you know, you, you usually don't start off running for Congress. So I'm going to tell Jake what to do what I did run for city council, <laughs> start off at city council, work your way up. Uh, but, you know, I know we've had, we have a history of people like Chris Stewart and Mia Love and some others, John, well, not John Curtis, but uh, you know, who've kind of come out of nowhere and won, you know, a congressional seat, but those people usually are not running against an incumbent. They're running for an open seat, at least in their own party. And they have some serious financial backing. And I, I don't think right. Hunsicker has either. So, yeah. All right. Good stuff. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to Political As Heck. This will be available as a podcast tomorrow. Great. Thanks, Thanks Corey. Lot, guys. All righty. Take care. Take care.